Well, welcome to the Building Peace Initiative at youwantapeaceofmeonline.com. This is John Van Bladel, and today's podcast is titled The Path to Universal Compassion. And in parentheses, it's not an easy one. So I'll be inviting the bell of mindfulness every so often to slow us down a bit and let what I say sink in, and also to organize my thoughts a bit. And when I invite the bell, we'll breathe together three times in and out at a normal rate, and then we'll return back to our podcast. So I'll invite the bell now, and we can breathe a bit to bring us back to the present. So applying compassion universally to every person in every situation is really tough to do, uh, at least for most of us. Now, I'm not suggesting we seek to be perfect. Uh, That's a formula for failure. But we can improve. I know I have. Uh, We simply have not been taught how to practice compassion. And to many of us, it seems like a foreign concept, a theoretical one, not something that really can be useful in our daily lives. Now, through all the classes I attended in public school, um, I don't remember the topic being touched on. Uh, When I got to college, uh, we did touch on altruism in an intro to psych class, but I really don't remember much of a focus on it. Compassion was not addressed. I did have the fortune to encounter a teacher in undergrad who was taught directly by Carl Rogers, so I did get to hear a little bit about reflective listening, empathy, and unconditional positive regard. Now he actually spent a good time of his, a good deal of his time, uh, teaching and counseling inmates or people um, at Attica Prison, which is a pretty challenging place. Um, I wish I was assertive enough at that point in my life to show up during his office hours and talk to him. Uh, but I probably mentioned it before; I just was very quiet throughout most of college. Um, sort of that false consciousness I didn't have a right to speak up. Um, and that has to do with socioeconomic class, uh, amongst other things. Uh, and Anatomy of Human Destructiveness was one of the books that um, was one of our assigned readings. It was by Eric Fromm. Uh, Eric Fromm also writes one, I think, on is it on disobedience? It's a really good one. It's a small one, but he really is worth reading. And that particular book, um, The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness, uh, really got me thinking about what he termed life affirming and life negating behavior. It's definitely worth a read. Now, it was not until I got out of school with my psychology degree, um, and I really didn't learn much about working with people, uh, but I decided to do some volunteering, and one of the places I volunteered at was a crisis intervention hotline. Uh, And they taught the importance of reflective listening, empathy, and unconditional positive regard as the foundation of listening and engaging people who would call up in crisis. And guess whose work it was based on? Carl Rogers' returns. Uh, so the common threads already had begun to unfold before me. Now, um, here's an interesting thing. I was actually slow to pick it up, but I got pretty good at it. So I got to staff the evening shift, or the night shift, from like 12 to 7 a.m. That was a very interesting experience. But generally, people just wanted to talk and have someone listen to them. So I was pretty effective at it. And you know what? Applying this approach worked. 
establishing trust based on listening to understand, which later on would be what I, which I'd come to know as the therapeutic alliance that you're forming, uh, is something I've carried with me throughout my career, and it has served me well in graduate school, uh, professionally, and personally. And what is really interesting about this is that as as I continue to grow as a person and a professional, I've encountered other approaches or practices that I've been able to add to my life or my repertoire. Now, I was also trained in motivational interviewing by Miller and Rolnick. I got accepted to a train the trainers workshop, and that was quite an experience. I think it was like five days or so. Um, being with a handful of professionals in Quebec City for an in-depth training. Um, I'll never forget how excited I was when I got the letter and how anxious I was too. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be there with all these really smart people. And there were a lot of really smart people, a lot of more researchers, but I did really well at the practical part of it uh, because I had started doing this quite some time ago. Uh, next I encountered, and this is almost simultaneously, nonviolent communication created by Marshall Rosenberg, and then Thich Nhat Hanh and his teachings. I'm actually going to go to the monastery within the next couple of days. I help them with their gardens, so it's pruning time. And they help me remain sane and remember how important compassion is. Now, both focused on the need to listen deeply and the importance of empathy and compassion. And there's an interesting parallel between the two. This is a little bit of Marshall Rosenberg. What I want in my life is compassion, a flow between myself and others based on a mutual giving from the heart. Every criticism, judgment, diagnosis, and expression of anger is the tragic expression of an unmet need. That's an interesting, interesting one to think about. And at the core of all anger is a need that is not being fulfilled. Now, if you start to look at people that way, your perception of them changes. So, here's a few from Thich Nhat Hanh. If we know how to create the energy of love, understanding, compassion, and beauty then we have contributed a lot to the world. I think about that often when I'm not in a particularly good mood. Uh, the most precious gift, gift we can offer anyone is our presence. When mindfulness embraces those we love, they will bloom like flowers. Again, listening to people makes a huge difference. And this is one that I try and keep in mind. When another person makes you suffer, it is because he suffers deeply within himself, and his suffering is spilling over. He does not need punishment. He needs help. That's the message he is sending. Now, both of these address empathy and the importance of listening without judgment, of listening with the express intent of understanding what the other person has to say. If we hear their needs, we can help reduce their suffering. And we need to understand that if we are to offer what is necessary for them to feel better, we have to be able to offer them compassion and most importantly, being fully present for them. Now, as, as uh, explained by nonviolent communication, the root of our suffering are unmet needs. And we ourselves are often unaware of exactly what they are. Um, once we discover what they are, we often have inhibitions about asking for them to be met. And yeah, I got a little bit of this going on with me sometimes. Um, we may feel shame over asking. Um, we may not feel worthy of asking. I always think of Wayne's world. We are not worthy. Uh, we may want to avoid the experience of being disappointed 
if the person we are talking to does not hear us or respond accordingly. Now, people are pretty fragile, and, and that happens often. And what happens if they don't hear our needs or respond favorably, we can get hurt or angry, and we can close off even further. And that's really sad when that happens. So somehow building the resilience uh, to continue being aware of how we're feeling and asking for our needs to be met in a way that people can respond appropriately is a, it's a practice. So most of us have not learned how to have this kind of conversation uh, where we ourselves are fully present to hear what the other person has to say or to express ourselves in a way that allows us to have our needs met. Now we end up getting upset, maybe angry, sad, fall into despair, and feel very alone. But we can learn. We have to learn if we are to survive and preserve preserve our sanity um, and the planet. Now in Buddhist terms, a bodhisattva is someone who has compassion within his or herself and who is able to make another person smile or suffer less. Now, every one of us is capable of this, and both Rosenberg and Thich Nhat Hanh would say this is our natural state. But now comes the challenging part. During our daily lives, we encounter so many people and so many things that take us away from our natural state of compassion. And this is a serious issue. So how do we maintain our state of compassion when we're feeling hurt, angry, depressed, anxious, or in danger? When our intellectual, emotional, and even our physical safety uh, is at risk. How do we deal with people who are suffering and don't know how to express it in a life-affirming way? There's going to be times when we feel like we're being attacked, as that is what some people do when, they when they're trying to communicate their suffering. And all of this can be overwhelming. There are also some who, frankly, are there to do harm. And this is a smaller group of people and will require what Rosenberg calls the protective use of force. Um, it's what I have called an informed assertive compassion uh, to keep ourselves safe and sometimes others safe. Bullying comes to mind and some of the work they're doing about that um, with bystanders beginning to step in uh, to stop the bully. So when coming into contact with the suffering of others and our own, um, we can easily give up and fall into hopelessness and despair. And that is why it is so important to have support when we're trying to live a compassionate life. We can't do this alone. And we also need time and space to reflect on what is going on in us and also to keep our solidity. That can be hard to come by in a world full of intense emotions, <laughs> information overload, uh, where many of us are working a couple of jobs and we have generally too much stimulation. We're consuming a great deal of stress from many sources. Now, one of these days, I'm going to have to retire, um, whether it be forced because we've run out of students at the community college or whether it's just time. And I'm watching the bank crisis right now, which probably isn't going to be a bank collapse. Uh, I don't think the people in this country, or the rich around the world, would allow that to happen. But it's just one more mosquito buzzing in the background on top of everything. Uh, so media 
And if we go back to Thich Nhat Hanh, his mindfulness trainings, what we consume makes a huge difference on how we feel. And in this case, it's consuming a lot of information uh, that excites us, excites us, or gets us into fight flight. So here's an inconsistency I experienced between my professional and personal life. Now, when I was doing counseling or therapy, I was really non-judgmental, highly empathetic, had a lot of compassion, and listened with the express intent of understanding what the other person had to say, really focused on helping people reduce their suffering and live happier lives. And this included some people who had done some pretty bad things. They had caused suffering based on an inability to resolve their own suffering. But the ethics that I embrace, supported by a codified professional code of ethics, and the people around me required a certain standard. So it was pretty easy to maintain that standard. But that changes in my daily life. When I deal with people that I diagnose, remember Rosenberg says diagnosing someone is a block or communica- a block to communication. So when I find someone irritating, or the <clears throat> sometimes I'll use the epitome of communication blocking labels, the old a-hole. We've diagnosed people like that. Now I have to reflect and say that I can be an inter- intermittent one myself. By the way, I came up with that diagnosis. I want that in the next DSM. Um, being as I have that within me, too, where sometimes I can be less than functioning at my best, you'd think I'd have more empathy for them as I had been there. But somehow, my empathy and my compassion gets disabled. I can usually get it back um, with, after some reflection and with some support. But it comes and goes. As an example, after spending some time at uh, Blue Cliff Monastery, I'm a very pleasant person because people are happy. They're smiling, they listen, they're compassionate. Then I get on the throughway and I'm faced with some really scary drivers. And sometimes I become very quickly judgmental and angry. Um, There's fear underneath it. And there's also a kind of a sense of being robbed of your peace. But I'm giving other people the power to control my peace, and that's a thinking flaw. And I'm not going to get into that too much in depth this time, because it can get complicated. Um, not that you can't handle a complication, but I'll be going on for a day about this. So this basically provides a glimpse into the problems we run into. Um, the environment around us has a tremendously powerful effect, and anyone who's taken an intro course into psychology, sociology, or has any insight knows this. We just don't pay enough attention to it. So, there is a path to a more just and peaceful world. The foundation is compassion, but it has to become more than a vague concept that we don't believe we can achieve. It must become something that we believe we can achieve, a daily practice, and one where we don't give up when we have a day where we struggle. Self-compassion is crucial. This is a journey, not an end point. And I'll close today with a bit of wisdom from the Dalai Lama. I believe all suffering is caused by ignorance. People inflict pain on others in the selfish pursuit of their happiness or satisfaction. Yet true happiness comes from a sense of inner peace and contentment, which in turn must be achieved through the cultivation of altruism, of love, and compassion, and elimination of ignorance, selfishness, 
and greed. So we'll continue to talk about compassion next time. Um, keep practicing your meditation and mindfulness, and let's make compassion a part of our daily lives. That's it for today. Wishing you all some peace of mind.